Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, glad you all made it. There's coffee and some snacks if you guys want anything, and restrooms are in the back if you need to know. But if you guys want to stand with me, we'll do the call to worship this morning. Um, it's a joy to be with you all this morning out of the elements and the cold and I don't know about you guys, I've had a sort of a rougher week, a harder week, but there's no place I'd rather be than worshiping with you all. So if you guys want to read with me, I will read the bold section if you'll read the, uh, the regular section after me. From Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. If you want to turn with me to song one, we'll sing Before the Throne.
every week we, um, we see God's holiness. He calls us to worship him. And yet in the midst of that, we see our own sinfulness. And so each week we come confessing our sins before God. And uh, this week it will be taken from Galatians 3. Paul says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul saying here that both our sin and our flesh bewitch us. They trick us to think that sin is good for us, that we should satisfy the desires of the flesh, or that we can uh, work out our salvation by the, by the flesh. But this is not so, and Paul um, calls us to not be bewitched. And so one way we can do that is by daily and weekly confessing our sins together. So would you read with me the prayer of confession? Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, we come before you this morning, humbling ourselves, aware of our sinfulness and our tendency to follow our own way. We have violated your holy commandments and transgressed your law. With heartfelt sorrow, we repent and turn away from all our offenses. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, have compassion on us. And by the grace of your Holy Spirit, produce in us the fruits of holiness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you'll turn with me to song number two, we'll sing In Christ Alone. Christ, I 
Amen. A fitting song for our assurance of parting this morning that comes from Romans 8. And we remember that even though our sin is great and we are in great need, that for those that are in Christ alone, there's no condemnation. This is Paul. In Romans 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So even though the devil, the flesh, and the world condemn us, and even our sin condemns us, that um, Christ, those that are in Christ, there's no condemnation. That because Christ has suffered the punishment that we deserved and fulfilled the law on our behalf, those that are in him have full assurance. So would you pray with me this morning? Dear Lord, we come before you this morning humbly, asking that you would come, that you would, your presence would be here, Lord, that we would experience you in spirit and in truth. And we thank you for sending Christ, who was the perfect lamb, the sacrificial lamb that by his blood being spilt and those that are covered in it would be made right with you, not because of our works, but because of the works of another. We also pray this morning for um, Grace Covenant Church in Utah, and we also pray for um, the PCA Church in Springfield that's seeking to be planted. We pray that by your spirit you would grow these churches, that you would bring people to faith, and that you would um, grow your church through your spirit. We thank you that the Father has come, the Father um, has sent the Son, that he understands our weakness, and that the Spirit continues to sanctify us day in and day out. So may we trust in that work today. May we have true assurance for those that are in Christ. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. And if you'll read with me, the confession of faith this morning is taken from the Apostles' Creed. Um, these are, you'll see it's a Trinitarian document, Father, Son, and Spirit, and it's confessing true things about the faith. So if you want to read with me from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You all can be seated. Well, good morning again. If you guys want to turn with me to Acts chapter 8, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 25. 9 through 25. So whether it's on your phone or um, you have a physical Bible with you, we'll be in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. 25. And for those of you that haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of Acts, written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And we've been trying to understand what is this book about. And in verse 1 of Acts, uh, Luke says this. He says that the Gospel of Luke was written showing all that Jesus did and taught on the earth. And the implication is that the book of Acts is all that Christ continues to do and teach from heaven. And so we've looked, as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've seen Christ ascend into heaven, pour out his spirit, and promise to build his church 
um, through his apostles and later through his people. And so we've seen this progression, this widening circle of the gospel that's going to the nations. And so we see an outline of this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Christ tells his apostles that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so last week we talked about how the gospel had gone out to Samaria and how this was an amazing thing that these Jews and Samaritans hated each other. (laughs) And we looked at sort of the history of that in the scriptures. But then we saw how this glorious picture of the gospel going to all peoples, starting with some of the people that hated each other the most. And so we looked at how in Christ the church is one. There is one people of God, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, man, woman, slave free, all are one in Christ. And so this week we'll see that continuation, but we'll look at sort of a unique um, instance of this gospel going to Samaria. We'll look at one of the first false converts in the church and how the church handles that. And we'll see that this man, Simon, who was a sorcerer, believed these words um, and was even baptized, but he is more interested in the gifts that God gives than the giver of the gifts, God himself. So we'll be looking at today. So I'll read the passage, I'll pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So if you want to follow along with me, starting at verse 9, this is the word of the Lord. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. Pay attention to that word amazed. Saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of your wickedness, of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity and Simon answered pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans would you pray with me dear Lord come before you this morning. We ask that you would empower the proclamation of your word, that we would see the great truths of the word, that we would be humbled and um, and even 
humbled, Lord, really, under the warnings of Scripture, that we might be with that we might not be those that believe and yet only want the gifts, but may we look past the gifts to the giver of the gifts and worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ alone. May we see the truths of your word this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. So yeah, like we said last week, we've been going through the books of book of Acts, and last week specifically we saw persecution sort of break out after Stephen's death. We looked at that several weeks ago, and we saw how persecution of the church was actually a mean God, a means God used to grow the church. And so the, the church has gone to Samaria, and that's where we read um, last week and both this week. So this week we'll look at three things. In verses 9 through 13, we'll look at Simon the sorcerer. In verses 14 through 19, we'll see Simon and the spirit. And then finally, in verses 20 through 25, we'll see Peter's rebuke. So if you look with me there at verse 9, what's it say? It says, Simon, who had previously practiced magic. So this word magic can also be translated sorcery. So don't think of it like um, sort of a David Blaine figure that's sort of swallowing frogs or something like that. This is, this is dark. This is true um, demonic activity. This is uh, sorcery, really. And so we see here Simon not just practicing magic tricks or party tricks, but this is true um, sorcery, true witchcraft. And we kind of see this, if you remember, in the story of Moses and Pharaoh. Some of the magicians of Pharaoh's court are able to mimic or duplicate some of Moses' early miracles. And so we see sort of this similar um, demonic activity um, all the way back in Moses. But Simon here is a sorcerer, as some translations say. And it's interesting, I pointed out in verse 9 and also verse 11, it says these people were amazed. Some translations even say bewitched. And you'll notice that was in our um, uh, confession of sin this morning in Galatians 3, this language of being bewitched, of their, of their gaze being taken away or amazed at what Simon is able to do. And it says in verse 10 that they essentially saw him as God. They were sort of almost worshiping him. It says this man is the power of God. So they're equating this witchcraft with God. But then we see in verse 12, Philip comes and he preaches the good news. He preaches about the kingdom of God. People believe this. They are baptized, men and women, and the church is growing. And then it says in verse 13 that even Simon himself believed and was baptized. But then notice at the end of verse 13, it says that he was amazed. And I think Luke here, who wrote the book of Acts, is trying to foreshadow something a little bit here. In the same way that these people were amazed or bewitched at Simon's sorcery, his magic, Simon himself is in a way bewitched by the apostles' miraculous activity. Not in the sense that what they're doing is of the same nature, but you can see that he is interested in the gifts. He's amazed. There's not this true sense of being amazed at God, but amazed at the activity. And so we can kind of see a parallel there. So Luke is sort of foreshadowing what's going to happen. So that is Simon the sorcerer. And then in the following verses, we see Simon and the spirit. So we've seen Simon the sorcerer, and now we'll look at Simon the spirit. And it's sort of interesting. There's sort of a break there at verse 14, and it cuts to the apostles. So the apostles in Jerusalem find out about this gospel going to Samaria. And they send is they send Peter and John to go sort of check up on this. 
And it's sort of interesting. Um, like we said last week, there's, there's a lot of tension between Jew and Samaritan. There's a lot of hatred between one another. And it's even more interesting that John is the one that is sent. Like we talked about last week, the kingdoms were divided. Samaria and Jerusalem were kind of at odds. There's all these background here of the northern kingdom of Israel having the capital of Samaria and the southern kingdom, Judah, having the capital of Jerusalem. And if we go back, you could look, if you wanted to, at 2 Kings chapter 1. We see Elijah, the prophet Elijah, actually call fire upon the men of the king of Samaria and his people. He, fire consumes 50 people twice. <laughs> so there was, there was a deep... Um, um, Daddy? Yeah. I don't know where Mama is. Okay, she'll be back soon. <laughs> I don't know where Mama is. Okay, you can hold... <laughs> She's coming. <laughs> so there's... It's really okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> so there's this divide. There's this... And part of it was because this northern kingdom... Um, of Samaria was into false worship. They were into idol worship. They were into all these different things. And so that's sort of the reason there that Elijah calls this fire down on them. But if you want to turn with me, you can look in Luke chapter 9. There's this interesting kind of odd account of um, Jesus and the apostles. In verse 51 of Luke chapter 9, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, this is Jesus, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> But he turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Sort of an odd <laughs> little story, right? Sort of an interesting story. Of, we almost see um, John here wanting to be Elijah. He wants to call fire on the Samaritans and consume them because they're rejecting Jesus. But Jesus here rebukes him. He knows that the gospel is going to go out. And so we can kind of see why it's so amazing that John here in Acts chapter 8 is the one that is sent to Samaria, <laughs> that this one that once wanted to call fire of judgment on the Samaritans is now the one calling the fire of the Spirit to fall on them. So sort of amazing turn of events here. And that's sort of what we see in verses 15 and 17. We see them pray that they, did not re- they had not received the Holy Spirit, and when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. And we can sort of think of this as almost a mini-second Pentecost, if you will. If you remember in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit is poured out, there's um, speaking in other languages, and there's the fire of the Spirit. And so we can kind of think of this just like the gospel has gone out from Jerusalem, That's where the first Pentecost took place. There's sort of this ripple effect, this mini second Pentecost that's happening in Samaria. And so some people will say, well, this is actually a second blessing, right? That that these disciples, they were saved, but they didn't have the spirit yet. And we know this is not true because in Romans 8, Paul says that if you do not have the spirit of Christ, you are not in Christ. And so we know that there... If you are a believer, you must have the Spirit of Christ in you. So this is not a second blessing. This is showing that the gospel is not just for Jews, but also for Samaritans. 
and that it's going to go to the ends of the earth. We'll see this later in chapter 19 in places like that. So this is not a second blessing. It is showing that the gospel and the promised Holy Spirit is going to the ends of the earth, essentially. And so this is glorious. This is God's unfolding plan. And we even see the Apostle John take part in this, that he once wanted to call this judgment a fire, but is now praying that the Spirit would fall on them. So just sort of interesting there. So if you want to keep following along with me in verse 18, we see this sort of take a turn. So they've just received the Spirit. The, uh, the apostles have laid their hands on them. And Simon sees this, and he is intrigued. He's amazed, like we said before. And so he offers them money. It says in verse 18, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, he offered them money. And in verse 19 it even says, Give me this power also. So we see this sort of greed or this desire for the gift rise up in Simon. And instead of seeing this as a unique event, as we just talked about, a a one-time event with these sort of ripple effects, Simon is sort of trying to buy the power of God. He's trying to buy this spirit so that he can repeat this. And sort of, sort of interesting, he eventually gets rebuked by Peter, and we'll look at that next, but it's sort of interesting that this passage that kind of typically gets used to talk about how this event needs to be repeated over and over again, this Pentecost, is actually sort of teaching the opposite, <laughs> that it is a unique event and that we shouldn't try to buy this power or repeat this, that it is a unique event to the, to the book of Acts. And we, if, if we even turn to the next section, there's the next section talks about the Ethiopian eunuch that's baptized in a river and then Philip is whisked away by the Spirit. We shouldn't look for that normally, <laughs> right? And so in a similar way, we can say that there's a uniqueness to this event. And if you remember in John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, the Spirit blows where it wishes. And so we can't predict these things. We can't recreate them. We can't control it like Simon wants to do. Um, we just have to pray and trust the Lord. So that's Simon in the Spirit. And so then if you look at verses 20 through 25, we'll see Peter's rebuke. Peter's rebuke. So we've seen Simon the sorcerer. We've seen Simon in the Spirit. And now we'll look at Peter's rebuke of Simon. So Simon sort of sees God as a genie, right? He wants to buy this power. He wants to rub the lamp and sort of get the power out of it. He wants to sort of buy this power. He doesn't want the giver of the gifts. He's not looking to God. He's looking to have this gift, this power. And really, this is sort of a man-centered view, right? It's, it's a false gospel. He's trying to, I don't know what he's trying to do. He's trying to save himself or just become popular. He's not looking to be made right with God. He's looking to draw attention to himself, to be powerful, all these sorts of false things. And Peter sees right through this. He doesn't let this stand. And sort of in these four verses, there's four rebukes, essentially. And you can summarize them kind of like this in verse 20. He basically says that you're lost. May you perish with the silver that you are offering. Secondly, in the next verse, he says, essentially, your heart is not right. um, That it is not right before God, ultimately. In the next verse, verse 22, he says, repent and turn. So there's this sense of, there's still time, Simon. Repent of your wickedness, of your man-centered false gospel, and turn to the true God. And then finally, in verse 23, there's kind of this interesting language of this gall of bitterness or the bond of iniquity. And you might be saying, where does this come from? Well, if you look in your cross-reference, 
um, if you have that, Deuteronomy 29 is mentioned, that this is in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses would pronounce a curse on those that worshiped idols. And it was the very same language to this, this gall of bitterness or bond of iniquity. And so Peter is essentially saying that Simon is idol worshiping the spirit, that it's sort of this thing that he can craft into his own, own image. And really, we know this is not true. And so Simon responds, but it's not in the way that we hope. He's sort of sad about the consequences, right? If you look there in verse 24, he's, he's not really concerned about repenting or turning. He just doesn't want bad things to happen to him. He's more sad about the consequences than about his sin. And we see ultimately that he tells Peter to pray for him, but Peter's prayer can't save him. Peter's faith can't save him that it has to be his faith and his prayer. And so even in the midst of this, even in the midst of this false convert, we see the gospel continue to go out. That in verse 25, it says they continued to preach the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So those are our verses for today. But before we um, kind of end today, let's step back like we always do and try to apply these verses. We try to um, see how they apply to our lives and how we can glean something from these and really contemplate what we've just looked at. So three things this morning, three contemplations. The first one is you cannot buy the gift of God. You cannot buy the gift of God. And we see that with Simon, that he tries to use his money to buy this gift. He tries to buy God's favor. And we might not do this in the same way as Simon, but we try to do this in other ways. Maybe it's through our works. We try to work enough to put God in our debt. I remember uh, when I was younger, I think it was probably fifth or sixth grade, I had a big basketball game coming up. It was like a championship or something. And I thought, I literally thought this in my head, that if I read enough scripture before, that I would win. That God would owe me that. And I lost. <laughs> but... You see that sort of thinking, and how, how often can we tend to think like that? If I do enough good things, things will go well for me. Or if I read enough scripture. And I wasn't, I wasn't actually, when I was doing that, I wasn't trying to be close with God. I wasn't trying to commune with him. I was trying to, it was a means to an end. It was a means of me getting what I wanted. I wasn't actually um, serving or seeking to worship God. And we kind of see that with Simon here. It's a means to an end. And even though we often do this, we cannot. So we cannot buy the gift of God, firstly. Secondly, there will be false converts. There will be false converts or false believers. And I think this is a sobering reality for all of us. Um, maybe some of us know people that have fallen away from the faith or things like this. And this shouldn't be new to us. The New Testament warns of this. Jesus talks about the tares that are among the wheat or the goats that are among the sheep. And so there's a sobering reality that some will say with their mouth they believe, but it's only an outward belief. And we see this in Matthew 7. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, On the last day many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do all these things in your name? But I'll say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So there's this sense in which someone can confess with their mouth, maybe outwardly, and do these works outwardly, and yet there not be true saving faith present. And we see this in Simon, that he's interested more in the gifts of God than the giver of the gifts, God himself. 
He's more interested in what he can get from God than what God can give. And so we must examine ourselves. We must ask ourselves these difficult questions that, am I in the faith? Am I trusting in God alone? Or am I seeking to just receive things from God, gifts or um, cars or houses or whatever it is, um, and really seek to ask ourselves those, those hard questions? So the second point is that there will be false converts, and this is a sobering reality. And then finally, this leads us to the final contemplation for today, and that is that God is the gospel. That God is the gospel. That might be strange language. I'm kind of borrowing that from a book title. What I mean when I say that God is the gospel is that the gospel is not about what we can get, these external things, health, wealth, all these other things, a good job, winning a basketball game in the sixth grade, that the gospel is about God. It is about being made right with him. And this is sort of summarized, I think, most succinctly in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That there's this beautiful picture of the righteous one, Christ himself, coming for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And so we can see that it is not the righteous that Jesus came to save, but sinners. Remember in Luke 5, it says that, you know, there's that famous song, not the righteous, not the righteous, sinners Jesus came to call. It's actually by being aware of our sinfulness that we're made able to respond. (laughs) It's when we see how sinful we are and how much we need a good God that we can do this. And so maybe there's some of us that are like Simon, that are trying to get good things out of God that are not right, that aren't promises that God has given us. Or maybe there's some of us that have a soft conscience this morning. Conscience, I can never say that. Conscience, right? Maybe some of us are questioning our faith. Maybe we feel like we've sinned beyond God's reach, that we've gone too far, that there's no way he could save me in my sin. The things that I've done, you don't know. But we serve a gracious God who did not leave us in our sin, but sent his son, (laughs) that he came and accomplished redemption, and that by being exalted at the right hand of God, he has purchased these benefits that he graciously gives. It's not a house or a car, it's justification. It's being made right with God. It's adoption, being welcomed into God's family. It's being sanctified by the Spirit, continually conformed into God's image, and being set apart. And there's all these other things assurance that we talked about this morning, peace of conscience, joy in the spirit, perseverance to the end, and glory. And so we can take joy even if our consciences are weak or if we're proud like Simon, may we turn and run to Christ and look to him by faith knowing that he graciously gives these benefits to all those that trust in him. They're not trusting in their own works or the works of um, their flesh, but they're trusting by the spirit to rest in Christ by faith. And so we can see this triune work of God, that he has planned this redemption. The Son has come and accomplished this redemption. And the Spirit, by faith, applies this work to our hearts so that we are justified by faith. We are sanctified by faith. All these things are gifts of God. And we can say with confidence that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And I wanted to finish with reading chapter from the confession that I think summarizes this well. 
It's on the assurance of grace and salvation. It says, Temporary believers and other unregenerate people may deceive themselves in vain with false hopes and fleshly presumptions that they have God's favor and salvation, but their hope will perish. And then listen to this, believers. Yet those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him sincerely, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may be certainly assured in this life that they are in a state of grace, and they may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and this hope will never make them ashamed. We can take great joy and comfort in that this morning. So would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we again come before you humbly and wherever we're at lord whether we're proud and we think that we can um, work our way to heaven or whether we're um, you know downtrodden and our sin accuses us and we have soft consciences may we see the work of christ today fully that he came in the incarnation lived the perfect life that we could not live, suffered the death that we deserved, was resurrected and is ascended to the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us, that he knows our weakness intimately and yet was without sin. May we rest in that this morning. May we not be like Simon who loves the gift more than the giver, but may we rest in Christ knowing that he will hold us fast. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. If you'll stand with me, we'll sing song number five, Solid Rock.
doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Amen. Receive the blessing, the benediction from Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Grace and peace as you go from here.